Hello, and welcome to The Weekend Starts on Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode of The Weekend Starts on Wednesday. My name is Patrick Arias, and it is my pleasure to be your tour guide as we break down and discuss this weekend's hot picks and bold predictions. As always, I am joined by my three co-hosts, Andres, the Cavalier King, Bryant, first prize Flores, and none other than Champagne Chauncey. Gentlemen, 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 welcome back. This is episode 73. It's great to be here live in the living room. The Dodgers are the 2020 World Series champions. Let me repeat that. The Los Angeles Dodgers are the 2020 World Series champions. Andres brings us his hot picks for Thursday night. Flores breaks down all the fights taking place this Halloween weekend. He does have a spooky bull prediction as well. Will Chance back up his boy, Lamar Action Jackson? And can the Niners pull off the upset in the Pacific Northwest and take out the Seattle Seahawks? We will find out the answers to all these questions after a quick message from our sponsor. We will get to the World Series breakdown in a few in a few minutes. Uh, Flores, you are the UFC expert of the group. There was a big fight on Saturday. There was a lot of action started very early in the day, took you into the late afternoon. How did you enjoy it? Well, I, I first thing I would say is I'm far from an expert as this fight the Khabib fight showcase this weekend. I was uh, running around telling people left and right, even had my barber drop some money <laughs> on Justin Gaethje. Um, when the clear and obvious bet, now that I think about it, is, and you could have got the same odds, essentially three to one, so bet 100 bucks, win 300, was Khabib to win by submission. And my headline this week is Khabib decides to leave. And after, after winning his 29th fight and his 29th straight fight in mixed martial arts, his 11th by submission, completely dominated, in my opinion, every second of the fight of the very short-lived two-round, not even two-round fight with Justin Gaethje, for some reason... Two of the judges gave the first round. Two of the three gave the first round to Justin Gaethje. I understand because of some of the kicks that he was doing and, and how he was, you know, actually landing some punches on Khabib. But overall, Khabib was just bringing pressure like crazy. I'm sure if you guys saw that fight, that's one thing you would have noticed about Khabib is he literally never relented. Mm -hmm. He just kept coming forward no matter what Justin was throwing at him. It was an awesome morning. I woke up. You know, around 10, 11 a.m., was able to start watching some fights. There was some great undercard fights. Bobby Knuckles, a.k.a. Robert Whitaker, in the, in the co-main event, handled his business to probably set up a rematch with Israel Adesanya. And then we got this main event around, like, 
one one thirty, I think, is when it came on. And man, did that deliver! Just in terms of what Habib left for us fans, the legacy that he just left for us. He dropped his, uh, I think, his left glove in the ring at the end of the fight, which is what MMA UFC fighters do when they decide to retire. Uh, Daniel Cormier recently lost, and he retired after the fight. He wasn't able to do that because out of respect for Miacic beating him, he didn't want to take away his shine, so he didn't drop his gloves in the middle of the ring. But with Khabib winning this fight, he was able to do it. The greatest part about this fight to me wasn't even the fight. Mm. It was the fact that anybody that was watching it was able to see the post-fight interview where Khabib, honestly, to me, even though he... English isn't his first language, and he doesn't dominate the language like a lot of a lot of other fighters do and athletes do. He still gave one of the most, you know, heartfelt speeches that I've heard in a long time about what he gave to this sport, about his father recently passing away, and and the reason why that's important is because it wasn't just his father; it was his coach. It was the person that brought him into the game, that taught him everything he knew. Didn't just teach him, but taught. A lot of the village, a lot of the community that they live in taught them how to wrestle, how to be athletes, how to, you know, better themselves. And so for the, the king of their community to now be gone and it all falling on Khabib's shoulders, he said in the, in the interview that he told his mom this would be his last fight. The first words out of his mouth was, I can't come out here without my dad ever again. It sounds like he just went out there because the commitment was already there and he knew he had to deliver on this last fight. It was a great way to go out. I probably haven't seen anybody go out like this since Jordan, not going to lie. But it was a great event. Did any of you guys happen to catch any of it? What were your guys' feelings and emotions watching that? I saw it, and um, it was a it was an oh shit kind of moment when the fight started. And um, only because, honestly, Flores, when you told me that your, um, that your barber was going to put money on it because he was um, – in Vegas, <laughs> I felt bad because I was like, oh, shit. Because, like, right from the beginning, Khabib was relentless. And I, I was like, damn, that, that sucks because I wanted to see a, a good fight. And it, it it was a good fight, but it wasn't very competitive, if that makes any sense. Because I, I know that, Chance, you had mentioned, too, that Khabib came in pretty strong. What did What did you think about his performance from the beginning? I mean, honestly, man, he, he, I never doubted the dude. Like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, you know, I defer to Flores for any UFC talk just because I'm, I'm not up on game like he is. But, you know, we talked about it last week how Khabib was undefeated. I think he's now 29 and 0. Um, and I know the Flores was saying that he hadn't fought a slate of fighters that most, you know, of his contemporary UFC, um, you know, uh, competitors that had fought, but I know this dude, Gagey, he was like a, a college champion, like, right. Like apparently he, uh, you know, he, he, he's known to do his thing. So I just thought Khabib handled his business, man. I was actually happy for him. Um, I feel like, and you know, Flores, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like for some reason he's got a lot of haters out there and it might be because he does it. In fact, kind of pick and choose, you know, who he fights when he wants to fight him. I think he I think he has a lot of haters because he rose to fame. He shot to fame because of the Connor beef with him back and forth going with Connor McGregor. And because of that, there's so many people that are such big Connor McGregor fans 
that that's where that Khabib hate comes from. It's like, just like you're either Trump or Biden, you're either Khabib or Connor. It's not one or the other. It's, I mean, it's not both. It's just, you're either a Connor fan or a Khabib fan. And because of that, there are so many haters of Khabib because of that beef and how he rose to fame because of it. Andres, did you catch the fight or any of the highlights? I, I saw some of the highlights. I didn't get to catch the fight. Um, I was uh, catching my rest. It was a long uh, night the, the night before. So I wanted to also apologize to you guys and to the listeners last week for my uh, mid-leaving of the show. I had to handle a small emergency. But uh, no, I didn't see the fight. I'm kind of disappointed in myself. I'll have to watch the whole thing. Um, but that speech, I mean... And everybody, I, I couldn't understand that a lot of people saying, oh, you know, he shouldn't have left, but it goes hand in hand. When you, when you lose somebody that, that trains you, that coached you, and let it to be your father, I mean, it's a very emotional thing. He's absolutely right. So I, I can't uh, fault him for him. I think he went out the way that, you know, any professional would want to go out. And I got mad respect for the guy. So, and, you know, it's a shame, Flores, you said that fans, you're either one or the other when it comes to him or McGregor. And it's like, who cares? Like, they're both good fighters in their own ways, and there's no need for the beef. I think you just respect the game regardless. It's just a, a, a shame that it has to be that way. But I think yeah, he goes down as one of the greatest. I would say if you saw the end of the Conor Khabib fight, you would see why that is. I don't think any fight, first of all, in UFC history, at least like modern history, because it's, it's going back now like 20 years, and back in the days it was more like a wrestling promotion than it was a professional fighting promotion where dudes would go in there with boots on and shit to fight. But more recently, just the way that that fight ended with Conor and Khabib, with people going into the ring, both into the ring. Yeah, yeah no, I, I get it. Yeah, so I think because of that, it, it's just where a lot of that comes from because it was deep-felt hatred between both fighters, and you don't see that every day. But going back to the actual action in the fight, uh, Khabib versus Justin Gaethje, I do recommend anybody out there that didn't get a chance to see it, just saw the highlights, you think it was an ass-whooping by Khabib, which in some ways it was, but it was an action-packed fight. I know, Pat, you saw it. You can definitely attest to that. It reminded me, of, in a way, of Hagler versus Hearns, which is a lot of times considered one of the greatest championship boxing fights of all time because round one both of them just went at it just mm. non-stop back and forth everybody in that arena watching knew that that was not going to go 12 rounds and sure enough in round two i think or maybe even round three even though i think it was round two uh hurry gets knocked out and it, it's only because one of them was bound to either you know tire out or get caught or something like that based off of how much action was going into the fight, and that's exactly what happened here with Khabib and Justin. Khabib, the first round didn't take him down until like 30 seconds left in the round, so that gave you four and a half minutes of just straight bombs, both of them. Khabib was just actually going at him, throwing punches, showing his, his, his hands, and Justin obviously is one of the better throwers when it comes to punches and stuff like that so definitely action-packed fight really recommend everybody go out and catch that replay if you can so if you're listening to the show i want to say congratulations because it's either wednesday night or thursday morning and you've pretty much made it to the weekend that's why we like to say the weekend starts on wednesday um and if you are listening to the show that means that you are well aware that the los angeles dodgers 
our 2020 champions, World Series champions. And um, the, the lucky number is 32 for Angelinos. Angelinos love Mr. Magic Johnson from the Lakers. It was a 32-year drought. So the uh, carryover with that number was a little significant, significant considering Magic was there last night. And, you know, congratulations to the Los Angeles Dodgers. It, to say that this championship was long overdue, um, I don't even know if that begins to scratch the surface. I was very emotional last night. Um, I didn't like full on cry, but I would say that I was the closest to crying when they cut the TV to Kershaw. And they showed Clayton Kershaw uh, coming out of the bullpen. And, and then I was like, he, he fucking did it. Like, they did it. Kershaw has that on his resume now. He had everything else on his resume. And my headline for the Dodgers winning the World Series, especially this year, is Kobe's in the outfield. And I say that because obviously the Dodgers' bats, you know, got them to – the 43 wins of the 60 game season. And they produced game three, 11 runs versus the Atlanta Braves in the first inning. And the Dodger bats helped the Dodgers move into game seven against the Braves. They dominated game six, so on and so forth. But for some reason, as, as you're watching the, this, this miraculous playoff run by the Dodgers, it Kobe's, it felt like, there was something in the outfield with Betts and Bellinger making those plays. I didn't see too many crazy plays coming from the left fielders. I just mainly saw it come from Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger. It just felt like something was in the air. And it would be naive of me to say like, oh yeah, that was for sure Kobe Bryant out there like spiritually helping them. I mean, it wasn't, but it just felt like some kind of energy. And I know Kobe was not a baseball player, but it just tied it all together and for the Dodgers to bring it home this year, along with the Lakers winning the championship, for the fans of Los Angeles and for the Angelinos that live here, something special is uh, in the air. Andres, I pass it over to you to talk about your experience watching the World Series. Oh, man. Uh, wave of emotions. Um, I watched it last night was my birthday, so... Uh, I went home, my dad's like, hey, come up to the house, watch the game. My brothers were all there. It was a family affair. Considering that we went to the longest World Series game uh, in 2018, the 18 inning with Mad Max winning uh, with the game-winning shot. We were sitting behind home plate, and it was the four of us there. And again, it happened to be on my birthday, too, when they, when they hit the bomb. So uh, it's very emotional. Uh, I did get a little teary-eyed just after Urias finished the game and uh, – I mean, what can you say? I was in the household of Mexicans, and we need Mexicans to finish it off. So um, it was just good to see it, man. I, I, I hadn't seen it to my, to my recollection because the last time we won it was 32, and I'm 33, so I was not even a year when, when, that, when they won it in 88. So, I, you know, it's just a flow of emotions. I want to see that we can hopefully do it. Mookie Betts is definitely worth every penny. I think he's the best player we've ever given that large of a contract. I remember the days of, like, Kevin Brown, $100 million guy, and just tanking. Um, we've got a good young squad, so it's, we have a very bright future. Uh, Chance, I'm assuming you're still back in Kentucky before, or were you back home? I mean, here in L.A. to see the World Series, and I know you're bleeding blue. You, this is your new hometown. I mean, you know, your ball, ball team. So how did you feel? 
Man, I felt, I felt amazing. I, I was home. Um, it was my last night home, so I capped it off uh, with some laundry and some Woodford Reserve double oaked. Um, and uh, it was pretty tasty, man. It was pretty tasty. And, you know, the, the, the irony, Andres, I'm glad you passed it over from yourself to me, is that, you know, you and I have gone back and forth on the show and off the air about, you know, Dave Roberts and his managerial style and some of his tactics and maybe leaving guys in too long or pulling guys too late. And that kind of tees it up for me in my, my, my headline for the, for the week. And it's, it's pretty simple. It's, it's coming from none other than one of the greatest, if not the greatest, wide receiver of all time when he got in trouble. I'm going to say it so beautifully and just so happily. Straight cash homie. Because if it weren't for Kevin Cash, then uh, uh, the L.A. Dodgers might be playing in the game seven tonight. But <laughs> I think it goes to show you that it, it's really hard. You know, baseball, I would say more than any other sport, guys, um, you know, they tend to rely heavily on the analytics. And what I would be interested to see is after this, and, you know, let me, let me say this, even though that, you know, Blake Snell was cool, like, the guy still had to make plays. Like, yeah, obviously that guy, Nick Anderson, was, like, pretty much just throwing everything over the plate um, for Seager and, you know, guys to hit. But, you know, they still had to make the plays. But at the end of the day, I do wonder if because of something like this, baseball kind of reigns in the analytics a little bit because, um, you know, Colin Cowherd, I think, says it best. He says it's analytics when it comes to playoff time, right? right? And sometimes you just have to put your gut and just, like, trust that that dude is going to make a play. And, you know, I'm happy that Blake Snell got pulled, but it would have been very intriguing to see him pitch to, you know, the top of our order for the third top around. Yeah. um, Flores actually has some thoughts about the analytics too, right, Flores? Yeah, and I don't don't want to get into a back and forth here as much as we've gotten on, you know, our group text and (laughs) our Instagram group chat that we have, but... At the end of the day, it just it is what it is. It, as much as you want to blame the manager and Cash, why don't you blame every single one through nine batter except the Rosarena for going, uh, you know, yeah. three for 29, not getting on base, not doing anything. Like, at the end of the day, the Rays only allowed three runs in that game. And say what you want to say about them taking out Snell, man, that was – that was the plan going into it for a reason. Why? Because the dude hadn't pitched more than six innings, I think, in like two years. Just we even talked about this the other day when they took out Kershaw, quote unquote, too early, and everybody booed him. But guess what? It turned out to be the the right decision. And when the Rays, who have arguably the best bullpen in the league, and that's what got them to where they got, mm-hmm. is having, you know, that stable full of arms that throw 100 miles an hour. When you have this guy that's been throwing lights out all year, unfortunately not as much in the postseason, but still maybe I would have liked to see them bring in even Castillo or one of their just real lights out recently guys in that situation. But to just blame Cash for taking out Snell when – Snell was about to go through the top of the lineup for a third time, and the third time is when people always get clobbered. This happens to Rich Hill. It used to happen to him all the time that Dave Roberts, no matter what was going on, would pull him before he went through the third time of the, uh, of the top of the lineup, especially when the top of the lineup is bets. 
and Seager, the two guys that are arguably the MVPs of the team, that to me it's like, dude, the guy just gave up a single. It's not like he just struck somebody out and he took him out. There was a little bit of decay, if you want to put it that way. So you say what you want to say at the end of the day, these managers are playing blackjack was my example earlier. Yeah. And when you're playing 21, when you're playing blackjack, you're playing the odds. You, you know, unless you're counting cards and you know what's going on, you're just playing the odds. You know exactly what the better play is in that situation. And you run with that and you just hope for the best because that's what happens in baseball. Every move you make, you're hoping for the best, whether it turns out or it doesn't. It's just unfortunate that it didn't. And now the guy has to answer to literally every single person on earth, it seems like. But to me, it wasn't that crazy of a decision. It wasn't like it was the third inning. It was the sixth inning. The guy had just given up a single. They had the bullpen to match. So I don't know. Just my thoughts. <laughs> well, I'm going to, uh, I wanted to, well, I just wanted to talk about the, the actual day, the day, the whole day yesterday leading up to the game quickly, um, just because we were in quarantine and we're not out and about. Like when we were all working in uh, downtown LA and the Lakers were playing the Celtics in the finals, like it was electric, like there was electricity in the air. And um, yesterday, you know, we're working from home. And I told Diana, I said, look, like on, on, on our lunch break, we got to go to Costco and we need to get the big ass bottle of champagne because, you know, they're either get, we're either going to pop it tonight or we're going to pop it tomorrow, win or lose, you know, we're going to drink that, that bottle. So I went out to Costco with her on my lunch break. And then there's just, everyone's wearing Dodger gear, you know, everybody's out wearing Dodger gear. And I, I had my little flag on my car when we drove there and I was just telling everybody, let's go Dodgers. Like, and everybody was like, oh yeah. Like everybody was like happy, you know, the, the older people were just very happy, but all the younger people our age, they were kind of more nervous, you know, kind of like us. But the older people were just very thrilled that the Dodgers were in the World Series. And to get that kind of um, just, it was what, like 30 minutes, but that 30 minutes with with our people, you know, saying saying go Dodgers to everybody, that was what it was because when the when the Dodgers had been in their World Series previously, Flores, you know that we took, you know, on the train, you, you get that city vibe on the train. You see other people, you talk to them about the Dodgers. And, you know, it wasn't around this year, but, you know, we made it happen. And it just felt so good to, to do that. And then after the Dodgers won, I was here with Diana and her family. We drank the champagne. We, we saw the fireworks go off from our patio across the freeway. They were just lighting fireworks off. We got it on video and, you know, just to see Kershaw again. And then I know we give Dave Roberts a lot of shit, but in that moment after the Dodgers won the World Series, I completely forgot about all the shortcomings of the Dodgers leading up to this year. And, you know, frankly, who knows if the Dodgers should have more than one World Series right now. All I know is that they have one and everybody's talking shit about the so-called half season, a third of a season. And that actually leads fuel to the fire because the Dodgers are going to want to repeat even more so to prove the haters wrong. Andres, do you think the Dodgers can repeat and win it again? Oh, my God. I, look, here's the only thing. Yes, to answer it, yes. But my biggest concern is the offseason, right? We've got, a big, we've got a big group of names coming out that could potentially leave if they get big money. Peterson, Urias. Jansen, who knows what's going to happen with him? Um, but we do have this team. You have, you, uh, Seager's another one. 
I think it was a star considering the MVP for both the NLCS and the World Series. So his contract's up. I mean, we got to keep as many on this team as possible. Um, and look, they're all they're all key components. So we, we have everybody to do it again to make a big run. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm hoping this is the turn of the, of the tide and like we can win at least three and become the next San Francisco Giants and winning three and five. You know, but I, I, there's a lot of big questions coming up in the next in this off season. So we have it. Chance, what do you think? I'll, I'll take it real quick while Chance kind of uh, comes back. But, uh, Andres, I, I think what what you're saying, I don't know if that's correct with a lot of those free agents. To me, the biggest free agents they have coming up are Justin Turner and Jock Peterson. Other mm-hmm. than that, it's Kike, Alex Wood, Trinan, Baez, and McGee are the only free agents that I'm seeing. So I think they're definitely in a good place to repeat, and they're the odds-on favorite again. And not only are they – maybe losing some of these players. Keep in mind, they're getting David Price back. Mm-hmm. David Price is a legitimate top two, top three starter that they can now pair with Bueller and with Kershaw at the top and kind of sprinkle in Urias, who is not a free agent, sprinkle in May, sprinkle in Gonsolin, whoever else they may acquire, because keep in mind, they're also maybe buyers this offseason, reinforce their, their bullpen and Dude, Betts and Bellinger, I know you were saying Kobe in the outfield. No, that wasn't Kobe in the outfield. That was absolute defensive talent in the outfield. Those guys are by far the two best defensive partners in the outfield. I think there is in the majors, to be honest with you. Well, yeah, and and you're right. I made a mistake with regards to to Seager. You're absolutely right. It it is Turner, Peterson, Hernandez, Kike, Woods. And, and Baez and McGee. Look, Baez is done. I don't ever want to see him again, so I think we're okay with that. I think <laughs> the future is strong. I think, well, you hear the thing. You guys are good losing all of those, honestly. Turner was already there planning on moving on from it. You guys are good losing all of those guys moving forward anyway, is my point. You can't You can't say that we, we can lose. I mean, no. Turner's the, the, he had the most hits in Dodgers postseason history as a franchise, so and Peterson was clutch, man. I mean, he got hit over 400 in the World Series. It's you can't. That's that's a key component. Uh, but I mean, and Hernandez, dude, you guys, you guys love him. Yeah, you're back. Yeah, we can hear you now. Now we can hear you. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. My bad. So I, I kind of, I tend to agree with both of you. I, I, you know, Andres, I know you hate Baez, but I actually think. Kenley Jansen is the one who we could all see out the door and never miss again. Um, and frankly, I I tend to agree with you on, on JT. I just think that because he's kind of the heart and soul of the team, I think he'll come back on maybe a, a team-friendly deal. What's crazy to me about this, all of this, though, is Jock Peterson. Because, Patrick, I remember when you and I worked – I mean, we, we all worked in Enterprise. That's how we all met. But, uh, Patrick, I remember when we managed the, the branch down near the Staples Center – 3272 off, I think it was Sepulveda. Mm-hmm. And it was crazy because I remember listening to John Ireland talk about how back in 2011, 2012, he didn't think Jock Peterson was going to make it in the major leagues because he couldn't hit a breaking ball. And now fast forward eight years later, and like Andres said, he's batting 400 in the World Series. Like he figured it out, man. I've always been a Jock fan. Um, the great thing about this team is we're super loaded. And the thing is, man, I think that 
more than any other team, just like the Lakers. Like any team that wins a, a championship under the COVID season, they have to be extra motivated for next year because even if there's not going to be an asterisk, there's going to be one, mm-hmm. right? People are always going to be like, yeah, but you did it under COVID with only six or regular season games. You know, you didn't have to travel. Guys weren't, you know, getting hurt because, you know, the, the season was shortened. So I think this team is going to be super motivated next year, and I think they're going to come back and win it again. The thing about Jock Peterson is that he, like, when I remember when the it was the first time the Dodgers went to the World Series back in uh, 2018, or I'm sorry, 17, we needed something to happen so desperately in um, Washington, D.C. It was game four, and it was 0-0. It was like the middle of the game. And then Jock just goes oppo. He just hits a bomb. And um, that 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 electrifies the Dodgers. And I, I can't remember what the final score was. I think the final score might have just been 1-0. And the Dodgers won that game to force the, you know, the fifth game. And then they eventually went on to beat the Nationals when Kershaw and Kenley put the team on their back at the end of that game. Um, and then... Kike Hernandez hits three home runs in 2018. Uh, I'm sorry, the very next series in 2017, Kike Hernandez hits three home runs against the Cubs to put us in the World Series. And then Jock Peterson hits another home run in game um, five on Sunday, I believe it was. And the microphones caught his voice when he was going into the dugout. And he's yelling at the entire dugout as he's hitting his chest. And he says, they don't, they don't want this smoke. And it was just so funny to me that he, he's a kid playing baseball and he's just got all the energy and that's what you need. And, you know, his, his two, his batting average throughout the season, batting 240, 230 throughout the season, it, it doesn't matter when you're in the postseason. Cause like Andres said, he's batting four, 400 in the world series. And some of the things he brings to the team, you, you will not see on the stat sheet. And at one point guys, for like five minutes, he was on the fucking Angels before the season started, you know, like, and the trade didn't go through. So if the Dodgers can figure out a way to keep the, you know, to keep most of these players together, they legit have another chance to win the World Series. And as a Dodgers fan, I just, I'm so happy that they finally pulled it off. And I would love to see them go back to back in a quote unquote real season. So um, Andres, I don't think that you actually stated your headline, so I'm going to say it for you. Andres's headline yeah. was, you always need a Mexican to finish the job. And um, you kind of sandwiched it between your thoughts. So I just wanted the people to know yeah, that. Yeah, I did. I, I, <laughs> I, I, got, I, got, I got caught up in the moment, man. It was just a very long day yesterday. Uh, birthday celebrations across, you know. Uh, but I mean, bullpen is great. You need Mexicans, man, to finish it. So Julias <laughs> and uh, Gonzalez, they're, they're both Mexicanos, and it was really cool to see them uh, with the their, their Mexican flag being born there and and uh, sharing a photo in a moment. So no, I mean, being Mexican, Pat, you know, you know what it's like, baby. We know how to finish <laughs> up. So the the good thing about yesterday as well was um well happy hey. happy birthday to you and you got to you know Thank see, you. see uh, the Dodgers. Finally, win the World Series on your birthday, and my little cousin Carlos just graduated with his master's, and he had a birthday yesterday as well. So both of you guys are very lucky. Um, two people very close to me, and uh, those are last week's heroes and headlines. If you enjoy listening to the show, please subscribe to us on Instagram and Facebook. Just search "Weekend Starts on Wednesday." You can keep up with all of our entertainment 
all of our posts and all of our stories. Again, Instagram, Facebook, weekend starts on Wednesday. Andres, the betting man of the group. Tomorrow is Thursday night. We got Thursday night lights. What kind of bets have you come up with us for both football games going on? Please tell. So, guys, so guys, Pat, thank you. I am a betting man. I'm a fucking degenerate. But here's the thing. I'm finding something new that I've been doing that I love. I'm doing teasers, mm. which means I'm getting an extra seven points. That means I don't have to worry about the regular line. And I'll tell you what I've been doing to make the money. I got a beautiful thing going on tomorrow night. NFL at the over-under originally for the Atlanta Falcons versus Carolina Panthers is 51 and a half. Mm. Now with the teaser, I buy it down to seven. So it's what, 43, sorry, 42, 44 and a half. So 45 points practically, right? This game is awful. We know how bad the Falcons are, but both of them will put up points. I think I love it. I think there's going to be like a 28 fog, 28, 20, 29, or 30, 21. There's my 51. I cover. I win. It goes over. On top of that, the Panthers are minus two and a half favorites in this game. John, how shitty are the Falcons? Uh, they're pretty shitty. <laughs> All right. So if I buy the points and I get seven for Carolina, that minus two and a half ends up becoming plus five and a half. So I'm taking Carolina with the teaser plus five and a half because I think they're going to win out outright. But just in case Atlanta somewhat gets lucky and Todd Gurley decides to not score a touchdown or score a touchdown and not run out the clock, and if they win by three, I still cover. So that's my two bets. Take the teasers. I know it's a little bit more juice, but you're going to parlay them. So you do a two-team on the over, and Carolina plus the points on the teaser. And you add one more to that to get it, make it a three-team parlay is the Colorado State-Fresno State game. This is a junkie game, ladies and gents. Over, under, the Bulldogs of Fresno State versus the Colorado State Rams. The over, under is 59 and a half. Or sorry, 59. Buy it down to seven. You get 52. I'm predicting a shootout in this wonderful Mountain West Conference game. Fresno State, we know the good old days of both brothers. Uh, Flores, what are the brothers that played there? Cars, the Car brothers. Thank you, Flores. Uh, Derek and David. Taking the points. Yep. At, they're plus one. Uh, sorry, we took the over. We're scoring a lot of points at 52. I predict at least a 35-30 ball game. There's the over. Three team teasers, seven points. Fresno State over, 52 and a half. Over on the uh, NFL game and taking the Carolina Panthers with the points. Pat, how does that sound? The, what do you think? Um, I, I like the idea of buying points on the Panthers, and I like the idea of taking the over down on the Fresno State game. You would like to think mm-hmm. that like automatically you see Colorado State and you see Fresno State and you say, like, oh, these teams suck. They're going to put up a lot of points because they can't play defense. And, you know, the the beginning better or, you know, the not so seasoned better forgets that they do suck and the offense might not be clicking as well. So buying down the points on that one, I think, is a smart move um, because each team could put up a couple field goals and a few touchdowns. So when you say buy down the points, when you're placing a bet on one of these apps or websites, it'll say, do you want to buy points? That's what you mean, right? So 
Well, it depends on which site you're using. They run a little differently. Uh, for example, what I use, um, you can just pick the game or pick what you want to do, and it'll just ask you at the end, uh, regular parlay, uh, round robin, or teaser. The teaser, it'll give you another option. How many points do you want to buy it mm. down or up? That's either six and a half, uh, seven, seven and a half. You can buy it all the way up to 10, but there's so much juice on 10 that it doesn't really make any sense. So pretty much if you're... For a three-team teaser, um, you're winning pretty much three to one odds, or maybe two and a half to one. But you're getting points, so it's more likely than not going to happen. You know what I mean, Pat? Yeah, and Christian McCaffrey is going to be back in the lineup tomorrow, correct? Uh, I there's that's that's what they're saying. I think it's game time decision. But either way, I mean Terry Bridgewater can score and run and, and throw, so I don't think there'll be that much of a big deal. And if not. Who cares? Let Atlanta score. We know Matt Ryan is probably pissed because he's going to be traded or want to leave considering how terrible they are. But Julio Jones, they have the weapons. Uh, we know Todd Gurley can finally score when it's needed or maybe not needed. But I think you'll be okay. And it's a, and it's a you know conference game. So there's going to be some trash talking. I expect a lot of scores. Chance, do you think, um, first of all, Fresno State or Colorado State? I know that these are two small schools, but – we have to appreciate the fact that at almost at 10 o'clock tomorrow night, there's going to be the fourth quarter going on of these games. Uh, do, do you think uh, Fresno State will win it at home in Fresno? <laughs> uh, I think so, man. I think so. Fresno State Bulldogs. I remember Pat Hill was the coach there when, when the Carr brothers played, and they would they would always compete uh, heavy with USC. So I think they're going to pull it out this, this, uh, this, this Thursday and, and – and, tackle and beat the, the Colorado State Rams. Side note, though, guys, um, stat boy Jimmy just checked in with me, and he told me that I'm penalized for five minutes because the Enterprise branch that we worked that was actually on Figueroa, not Sepulveda. So my bad on that. And, and, and quick side note on that, now that we're mentioning the Enterprise on Figueroa, on this date eight years ago exactly, I remember being on Figueroa right down the street from there, at a Japanese teriyaki spot across from the 901 bar, <laughs> watching Giants sweep the Detroit Tigers and win their second of the three World Series titles on this day eight years ago exactly. Ring that bell for me one time, Pat. <laughs> hey, the, the, the spot you're thinking of is uh, Flame Broiler? Is that where we used to go? No, no, it's a mom and pop one. Uh, <laughs> of right course. next to the Goodwill. Yeah, there's like a Goodwill store right there, and it's right next to that. <laughs> so that's. Um, Forrest, who, Forrest, who do you have winning? Who do you have winning the game in the Bulldogs? Between the Bulldogs I'm and the Rams. I'm gonna go Fresno State just because I got to ride with Cali and I got to ride with uh, Paul George. Oh, interesting. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> okay, so um, leave it to us to hype up. Fresno State versus Colorado State, and that's why we are sports junkies. Um, but Friday, Friday is another gift from the boxing world, the boxing gods. Uh, Flores, you started off, and um, then we would ask for you to kind of bounce your ideas off a of chance when it comes to tomorrow night, or I'm sorry, Friday night's boxing events. All right, so let's go at a fantasy Springs Resort Casino in Indio, California, hometown of our very own Patty Pat. All right, we have, honestly, a guy that is just an absolute killer. Jaime Munguia, 
I remember seeing him at the West Covina Mall like two years ago in the parking lot. I said, what's up to him? He said, what's up to me? It was no interaction we had. But this guy is just the man, dude. When it comes to uh, light middleweight, so not necessarily officially a middleweight, but when it comes to the light middleweights, this guy is running game. He's fought recently um, Gary O'Sullivan, which a lot of people might know just based off his face. He's like a bald Irish guy with one of those old school Raleigh fingers type mustaches that kind of curl up at the end. And that was supposed to be his biggest fight, his showcase fight. And he came out and he handled it. He won by TKO in the 11th round. This guy's been dominating. He's beat his showcase coming out fight came out in 2018 when he beat Saddam Ali. Saddam Ali had just come off the biggest victory of his life, beating Miguel Cotto in Miguel Cotto's last fight of his career. And this guy, Mungia, came out of nowhere. He's a Golden Boy promotion fighter, and he knocked Saddam Ali out to win the WBO light middleweight title. He's been defending it ever since. He's defended it now one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. And he's fighting Toriano Johnson, who's not necessarily a big name, Right now, it's kind of hard to get a lot of these big-name fighters to fight one another, so it's more of a you know stay-warm fight. He's only fought in January this year, so they wanted to make sure that you got to fight in. But you can find this one on The Zone on Friday. starts at 5 p.m. He'll probably be walking out from the ring at 9 p.m. or so. Mm-hmm. So at least there's some fighting to watch on Friday. Again, he's running game in the light middleweights. He's eventually, he's only 24, so he's definitely going to move up to fight some of these middleweight guys, which is what we recently saw in uh, the Charlo brothers. One of them is a light middleweight. Uh, Jermel is the light middleweight. Jamal is the middleweight. So he's going to come up and start fighting some of these middleweight names. Canelo is a potential fight in his future just because he's Golden Boy Promotions, mm. just because he's in around the same weight class you know light middleweight is around 154 pounds canelo nowadays is fighting around 167 175 or so but he can come down to 160 which is the middleweight limit so it's going to be a great fight i don't know how familiar you guys are with with hyman Mugia or not but i definitely want you guys to tune in chance are you tuning in for this one or what We got you, Chance. Andres, are you? Chance is doing his research. <laughs> so, uh, Jimmy just knows what Chance is doing. He doesn't know. He's like, I don't know if I'm going to be protected or not. But, uh, uh, yeah, I got nothing out. What else? I wanted to watch him on a Friday night. Hell yeah, I'm watching this fight. And if you're telling me to watch this fight, of course, I got nothing but a cold beer in my hand with a TV on, right? So, and, and one thing I do recommend, one thing really quickly, one thing I do recommend, I've been mentioning the zone on a lot of these fights. My bootleg cable that I probably shouldn't be admitting over the air because who knows who's going to come after me. But my bootleg cable has been fucking up and not giving me some of these disowned fights. Like this last week, uh, Chocolatito Gonzalez, the Nicaraguan fighter that I was hyping up, I wasn't able to see his fight because it, it wasn't on my TV, but it was obviously on the zone. I was following through Twitter. He came up with a great victory, set up a rematch with Estrada down the line because he won his title. But the zone is coming in with a lot of fights coming up, guys. So it's only twenty bucks a month, or it's a hundred bucks for a year for twelve months, which comes down to be like eight dollars a month. Mm-hmm. 
and you're able to get some quality fights. We also have another fight on Saturday that I'll talk about right now, uh, coming up right now when we get into Saturday. But there's a lot of fights coming up on the zone. The zone is where Canelo fights. The zone is where Anthony Joshua fights. The zone has Triple G as well. So anything Golden Boy promotion is on the zone. There's a lot of these European, specifically British fights coming up. So Dillian White versus Povetkin, the rematch to that great knockout that we talked about a couple of months ago, that's coming up on the zone. So it, it might be something to invest in. It's 20 bucks a month, like I mentioned, and you get to stream all these fights on their app, on your phone, on the TV, whatever it may be. Free plug for you, the zone. Make sure you shoot us that money. <laughs> yeah, free, free plug for the zone. Like I've never heard the zone said so much in 30 seconds. <laughs> But um, for real, like Jaime Munguia is from TJ. So Andres, going with your Mexican theme to finish the job, of course you're going to be rooting for him. And he's uh, three inches taller than Johnson, which I know you like to always look at the metrics. And um, so speaking of um, accessibility, right, we'll go with that for the theme of Saturday morning because one of the reasons why Andres chose his college football game at 9 a.m. for Saturday is because it's going to be on ESPN. And most people have access to ESPN. And Andres, break down your football and uh, breakfast. Uh, football breakfast, this is, this is beautiful. You wake up a little hungover, you're going to see some high-flying action. Crack open another beer or... Uh, whatever champagne. Where's where's champagne? I think champagne is getting some more champagne for Saturday. Uh, I'm back, baby. I'm back. All right, all right. Pat, Pat was gonna get another bottle real quick at Costco for this wonderful mimosa day. <laughs> Memphis and Cincinnati. Like everybody's saying, Memphis and Cincinnati. Look, these games the last couple years have been fire. Nothing but shootouts. And this is why I'm watching because I'm looking for the over of 55 and a half. This is also the closest game we're regarding to point spread that you'll find uh, Memphis is coming in hot at 3-1. and one. Cincinnati is 4-0, ranked 7th in the country. I'm expecting a lot of, just a big shootout, a close game. I'm, I'm hoping and I think it's going to happen a 45-42 final. That's how close it's going to be. These guys are always, it's, it's, gonna, it's a good rivalry game. And I mean, what more do you want? They're both averaging 30 more than 36 points a game. Memphis shooting at 38.8. Cincinnati shooting 37.3. The total yards offensively, 548 for Memphis, 406 for Cincinnati. So these are the games that it's just, oh, uh, you start your Saturdays. With these. You wake up, you're like, this is why I wake up and I love Saturdays. On a fall, on November, oh, Halloween. So, hey, spooky time. I didn't even look at the date. It's spooky time season. I, look, I think I might take Memphis in this game. Give it a seven. I, I'm hoping for the shootout. I'm hoping for them to pull it out. Uh, but I don't know. We'll see. Charles, what do you think? Am I going crazy for picking Memphis over Cincy? You're coming from the land of, of near Cincinnati. You're a drive, a throw, a skip throw away. What do you think? I mean, honestly, man, I mean, this is, uh, I think, an interconference rival, obviously. I the reason that I think you're a little crazy is because Cincinnati is top ten, uh, is a top ten team this year. They've already lost to, or they've already beat a team that you thought they were going to upset, which uh, which was Army. And then this is also being played at 
Nippert Stadium, which is their hometown stadium. So um, I'm not saying that the Memphis Tigers, who are always a formidable opponent opponent uh, on the football field, they're known as a basketball school, but they actually have, um, I don't know if you guys remember, D'Angelo Williams, who was a running back. He went to Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, Lynch, he, he was a flame out that John Elway drafted to the Broncos. He played quarterback at Memphis. Um, you know, they, they've had some, some dudes come through there, but I just, I don't know, man. This Cincinnati team looks pretty good. So, yeah, and, real, and real quick, Jimmy, the stat boy just, he brought up the stats from last year's game. These guys <laughs> played twice last year, and both victories were done by Memphis. Uh, 34-24 the first meeting, 29-24 the second meeting. So, just a little heads up on that, all right, guys? Is, Andres, is your are you locking in a bold prediction that Memphis wins? I'll lock it in. If it's bold enough to you, i got to ask the panel. So I don't know if it's bold enough. They're, they are seven-point underdogs, so well, we is, got, it, is it bold enough for us? Uh, usually I'd say double digits is where I get bold, but fuck, we haven't done one in a while, so I'll let it ride. Exactly. All right. And who do you got for the game? Are you are you thinking Cincinnati being the home team and Chance is finally back and on your side these days? I'm a, I'm gonna go with Cincinnati on that one. I don't know much about it, so I'll defer to you guys. But if I were to pick a name, I'd say Cincinnati on that one. I, I, <laughs> I got a little um, Patty boy, little baby Patty boy. When I was uh, in middle school, the first fitted hat I ever purchased, or Basically, I asked my mom to buy it for me. <laughs> was a Cincinnati Bearcats. It was all gray, and it had the Cincinnati logo on it, which was red, and it was a little three D ish. I thought it was so hard because I loved the. Was bear- it because was it because of Kenyon Martin or what? Exactly, Bob Huggins, Kenyon <laughs> Martin, Reuben Patterson, who I ended up hating because of you know what he did with Kobe. But I loved Cincinnati when I was growing up. I used to love watching them play college basketball. So I'm, I'm riding with Cincinnati. But Andres, I do accept your bold prediction. Um, and each bold prediction is worth seven points. The first to 21 collects beer from the losers. And I believe right now Andres and Flores have been uh, too bold and they're at zero. And Chant and I are stuck at seven. So I will ask Jimmy to basically clarify the point spread later on with the bold predictions. Uh, so we have about 12 minutes left. So that's how the Saturday is going to start. How is it going to go the rest of the day, Flores, with more boxing? Holy cow. This this might be the greatest fight Saturday of the year. And I'm saying that because we're coming off of Friday seeing this up-and-coming star, Mungia. And Saturday, we have four spectacular main events. Three boxing, one MMA. I'm going to run them down right now really quickly for you guys. In the first one of the day, again on zone. I know I mentioned zone earlier. Um, we have one on Friday for zone, and now we have one Saturday morning. It kicks off at 10 a.m. This one is based out of Europe. The main event is... Alexander Usyk fighting against Derek Chisora. Anybody that knows anything about boxing knows who Usyk is. This guy is an absolute animal. He's like a bigger Lomachenko. Him and Lomachenko are close friends. 
This guy, first of all, he's like the craziest guy in boxing. Think of jackass cast members, and that's what Alexander Usyk is. This guy doesn't give a shit. He's a weirdo. He loves in 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 you know when they do the weigh the weigh ins and the guy pushes him, he just starts laughing uncontrollably and opens his eyes wide and stares at him. This guy's just absolutely insane, and the fact that he's moving up. Too heavyweight is one of the most awesome things ever. He wiped out completely the cruiserweight division, which is right below heavyweight. There's light heavyweight, there's cruiserweight, and then there's heavyweight. The most famous cruiserweight of all time is Evander Holyfield. He's probably the only cruiserweight that's been able to go up to heavyweight and actually win some titles and make a name for himself, probably because of steroids, but that's another conversation. But this guy, Yusuf, man, literally held every single cruiserweight belt. Now he's moving up. And this guy, Derek Chisora, he's he's fought names, man. He's fought Dillian White. He's fought David Price. He is a name in the division. So it's a showcase fight for both of them. If Chisora beats Yusuf, he's automatically back on the map. He's probably getting a fight with Joshua, with Fury, with the winner of White and Povetkin, with somebody. But if Yusik, who is the guy that's expected to win this fight, wins, and he wins by domination, wow, is he setting up some fights. Because this guy can move. He's not as big as Fury, as Wilder, as Joshua. But he has way more skill, I would say, than all three of them. So I'm really excited to see his, essentially his debut here at heavyweight. He should be walking out to the ring at 3.15 p.m. Pacific time. And then afterwards, we start getting into some more of these fights. So keep up with me, guys. We have a, and keep in mind, Yusik is a top 10, maybe even a top five pound for pound guy. And then we get another for sure top five pound for pound guy on ESPN Plus at 4.30 p.m. And Noye Inoue fighting against Jason Maloney. It's for the IBF and WPA bantamweight title. This guy, Inoue, pound for pound, I think is the hardest hitting boxer in the world. He weighs, I think, like 120 is what that division's limit is, 118 pounds. So he's absolutely the shrimp compared to real big athletes of what we think of here in America. But this Japanese cat just handled his business, man. He came, his last fight was almost a year ago where he beat a very big name in Nonito Donaire. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of Nonito Donaire, but he's a Filipino that was supposed to be the next Pacquiao. He ended up losing <laughs> a couple of fights. But Just because he's he Filipino? A big, yeah, and because he was a big name. He was winning a gang of fights. And then he, he unfortunately suffered uh, a setback, and then he lost another fight. But this guy was a name, and he knew he came out and showcased himself by beating, going up in weight to fight Donaire, because keep in mind, just because he's a bantamweight doesn't mean that he wasn't fighting at even smaller junior bantamweight even before that. So he went up in weight, showcased himself against Nonito Donaire. Now he's fighting against Maloney, which is one of these top-ranked guys that he just won earlier in the summer. I think it might have been like top-ranked second or third fights on ESPN. He was the main event. He won that fight. It's for two belts. This one starts at 4.30 p.m. on ESPN Plus with a ring walk coming up at 7 p.m. I think on the undercard, too, they have a really awesome female fighter for top rank, uh, Michaela Meyer. 
Michael Myers, coincidentally, on Halloween. But she's also an awesome fighter to check out. And I'm barely halfway done with these fights, guys. Just just keep up with me. If you want to interrupt, feel free. Now we get into the legends. I just mentioned a top five pound-for-pound boxer. I just mentioned a top ten, maybe even top five pound-for-pound boxer. Now I'm talking about a top three pound-for-pound, maybe number one, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in the scumbag of the night, but maybe the best MMA fighter of all time, Anderson Spider Silva, his last fight on ESPN Plus. He's fighting against Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall is only three and four in his last seven fights. He's not necessarily a big name, but you're getting to see Anderson Silva fight his last fight. You know, the, the main car starts at 4 p.m., so Silva's probably going to go on around 6, 6.30, 7 p.m. But guys, for those of you that haven't seen Anderson Silva or maybe have seen him recently, go look at this guy's fights. 2012, 2010, 2008, he holds so many records in the middleweight division for the UFC. He was absolutely the man. When you think of fighters toying with their opponents, this guy, whether it be MMA, whether it be boxing, is at the top of the list. He unfortunately got caught by Chris Weidman. I think that might have been like 2013 or so. And ever since then, because the rematch is when he tried to kick Chris Weidman and his leg just snapped in half. And it was one of the most gruesome injuries Mm. in sports histories. And he just hasn't been the same then, the same since then. He had some steroid allegations come up since then. But pre that knockout by Chris Weidman that he suffered, this guy was the most dominant UFC fighter of all time. So we get to see his last fight on ESPN+. Plus. Should be coming around around 6.30, 7 p.m. So you guys are going to be able to go back and forth between Inoue on ESPN+, Plus and Anderson Silva on ESPN+, Plus too. And then you have Usyk versus Chisora in the morning. But guys, none of these are the best fight of the night. That's the beauty about this <laughs> Halloween. I know you guys want to get out there. I know, you know, people want to get out and go trick-or-treating. Here in L.A., we might not be able to this year as much as in previous years. But that's fine. Just buy a couple candies for your kids, throw them out in the yard, make it like an Easter egg hunt for them, <laughs> and sit your ass down on the couch because we have Gervonta Tank Davis versus Leo El Famoso Terremoto Santa Cruz on Showtime pay-per-view. Oh, my <laughs> I'm telling you, my so wow, baby. <laughs> my biggest claim to fame in life ever is the fact that Leo Santa Cruz follows me on Instagram. So you guys gotta check this fight out. Leo Santa Cruz is coming up in weight, essentially, to fight Tank Davis. Tank Davis is actually coming down. It's, it's a little bit of a catch weight. Tank Davis fights at the division that we just saw Teofimo Lopez and Vasily Lomachenko fight at. So if Tank Davis wins this fight, and he is the favorite to win the fight because he is the bigger guy, and as much as I love Santa Cruz, Tank Davis is an absolute animal when he tries, when he cares. That's the reason why you don't know what's going to happen with this fight because Leo Santa Cruz, I mentioned Khabib bringing pressure earlier when he fought Gagey last week. 
Leo Santa Cruz is the king of pressure. Nobody throws more punches per round than Leo Santa Cruz. He has a little twitch in his hand where he brings it back and he kind of shakes it and then he keeps throwing more hands. If you guys ever see one of his fights, you'll be mesmerized by it. You'll you'll think, what the hell is he doing? But this guy, Leo Santa Cruz, he just he's a bull, man. He goes forward. He doesn't stop. He's fought some of the biggest names in boxing. He's had... A great matchup with Abner Mares here at Staples Center. He beat him twice. He only has one loss on his record to Carl Frampton, which he avenged and beat Carl Frampton up in the following fight. So he hasn't lost to anybody that he hasn't avenged. He has one fight, and like I just mentioned, he avenged that. And Tank Davis is undefeated. This might be the fight of the year because you don't know what Tank Davis is going to show up, but you absolutely know that Leo Santa Cruz is going to bring his A game. He's going to take Tank Davis into deep water. Will Javante Davis drown is the biggest question of the night. That main event will probably be on around like 8.30 or so. So just make sure you guys catch that on pay-per-view. This is the one fight of the year that I am going to say Go buy that on pay-per-view. It will not disappoint. And man, am I out of breath from talking about all four of these awesome cards this Saturday, man. So that was um, that was 11 minutes. And I have to promise our listeners that if it was a lot to keep up with, Flores will send a post for Instagram basically outlining the schedule and the fights for Saturday because we know it's going to be a busy day. So from the sound of it, there's a handful of fights that you're going to be able to choose from based on your schedule. Um, I do want to – we have only a few seconds left, but we're going to take a quick break, and I do want to ask Chance why he got so excited when um, Flores had told him that Leo um, Santa Cruz was fighting – Cruz versus Gervonta Tank Davis. As Flores mentioned earlier, it's going to be arguably the fight of the year. Both guys are pretty much decorated fighters. Uh, Leo Santa Cruz only has one loss. Uh, Gervonta Tank Davis doesn't have a loss at all. And Flores, if I'm not mistaken, Tank is with the money team, right? I see a lot of posts on Instagram, or I actually saw a clip on YouTube where Floyd was talking about him being one of the up-and-coming fighters. Um, you know, similar work ethic, I feel like similar styles, uh, not as far as, as fighting necessarily, because um, Tank is, is that, he's a tank and Floyd's more defensive, but both super flashy with the ice, with the jewelry, with the, with the you know, $6,000 outfits on fight night. Um, I'm really looking forward to this, man. I am probably going to take Tank to win the fight, although, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Leo Santa Cruz stole this one. What do you think, Flores? Yeah, I'm kind of on board with all that. And definitely, this is Mayweather's money, money-making machine, like Andres likes to say. This is his guy. <laughs> this is what he's banking on. They've had some problems over the last couple of years going back and forth. Tank Davis has talked shit about Mayweather online, similar to how Ryan Garcia has talked shit about De La Hoya online and saying that, hey, he's not treating my career the right way and all that stuff. But... For this fight, Mayweather has brought him in, and he's been working with him a lot. And the reason why is because, like I mentioned earlier, Tank Davis sometimes gets lazy. And I think Mayweather was scared that, A, 
he wouldn't make weight. Because if you go look at the official picture for the Showtime fight, Hank Davis's cheeks are so fucking fat. And that guy walks around like 20, 25 pounds over his fighting weight. Mm. And I think Floyd was just scared that he would miss weight. And this is Floyd's guy. Floyd needs this guy to keep being great for him to be able to have these cards and all that stuff. Andres, are you taking yeah, Santa think, Cruz? Uh, I'm going to go take Santa, Santa Cruz. You know <laughs> what, boys? Because you stated it earlier just now that his cheeks are so fat. So I think he just... They changed his nickname right now, according to Jimmy, from Tank to Fat Tank, and it isn't looking good. So, I would say Santa Cruz. I'm taking the Mexican kid because he's a Mexican, not a Mexican. And you always need a Mexican to finish the job. So, this guy has got, look, you know what I like about boxing specifically? I look at the reach. Uh, Santa Cruz has 69 inches on the reach compared to 67 and a half to the tank. Uh, the Tank is a southpaw fighter. Uh, Santa Cruz is an orthodox fighter. He's got the advantage on the height uh, with an extra two inches. So, you know, he's got the experience. I'm going to take the veteran. Uh, I like it. I like the reach. I know that the Tank, out of his 23 wins, he's got 22 knockouts. Uh, and he's from Baltimore. So, you know, he's a fucking, he's a street fighter kid. So, it's going to be a great fight. Uh, probably one of the best fights of the year. You are right for us. I gotta take El Mexicano. Last night with the, with Urias and Gonzalez, Sunday, uh, Saturday, Santa Cruz on the day of Halloween. You gotta look. I'm a man of of religion, religious values. It's Catholics. I'm gonna take it. Right? We don't like the devil. Not today, Satan. But Santa Cruz. Hey, uh, let me throw this in. Let me let me throw this in. If you do actually bet on Santa Cruz, Andres. You're getting just 450 odds. Like Tank Davis is <laughs> huge favorite in this fight. Shit. Tank Davis is minus 700 for this fight. And the reason why is, again, because Santa Cruz is fighting at a weight that he's not used to. He's a much thinner guy. And Tank is just an absolute beast that probably could be fighting at like 140, maybe even 147. But he's choosing to fight this at 130. His normal fighting weight is like 135 right now. So Santa Cruz is a 126, 122 pound fighter coming up to fight a much heavier guy that is very, very, very heavy with the hands. So you bet even as small as 10 bucks on Santa Cruz and he pulls out the win, you're getting 45 bucks out of that. If you like, I mean, he's your best friend. We are going to tag him on the show. So you can't bet against your best friend, Santa Cruz. Well, if you like it, yo, and shout out, shout out real quick to Renee Deuce RBM. That if you guys remember, uh, a couple of months ago, he gave us the insider information that the Javante Tank Davis fight was signed, sealed, and delivered mm. before anybody else knew about it. We couldn't go public with that information, but we definitely have some affiliation with the Santa Cruz camp. So much love to him. Good luck, Leo. So if you like it, we love it. Andres is riding with his boy, Santa Cruz. Um, let's talk about Sunday. Chance, are you riding with your boy at 10 a.m., Lamar Action Jackson, or do you think the Steelers get the W? Ooh, Pat, man, I'm going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because I don't know if you guys remember, but last season, 
in Pittsburgh. Now, granted, Ben Big Ben was hurt and he wasn't playing, and I think it was like Mason Rudolph or one of those jabronis. <laughs> but essentially, Lamar came in to Heinz Field and beat the Steelers. It was a close game. It was a rainy game, but he was able to pull that out. This time around, I'm not as confident because the league has some more tape on him. Uh, you know, he, he's not passing the ball as well as he was last season. And that being said, he has 10 TDs and only two interceptions, mm-hmm. right? So he's still doing his thing. But my major concern, uh, Pat, and just, you know, fellas, about this game in, re- in regards to Baltimore is the fact that Lamar, you know, six games in, Lamar is their leading rusher. Their rushing attack is nowhere nearly as potent as it was last year. And we all know that, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, between James Conner, Benny Snell, um, you know, and then those guys on the perimeter, Chase, Chase Claypool, Juju, Dwayne Washington. I mean, they, they, they've got some playmakers, more so than Baltimore does. But they also have the Chester molester himself, Ben Roethlisberger, who's just been throwing <laughs> terrible Terrible, terrible. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw that Tennessee game where they almost lost it because he threw that pick, that pick in the in the end zone around like quadruple coverage. Like it was terrible. So that being said, I'm actually am going to go with Baltimore. I think Pittsburgh's like barely got away last last week against Tennessee, and I think this Baltimore team coming off a of bye week. I think that's the most important thing for Baltimore is they they're coming off a of bye week. They're healthy. They got uh, you know. Some, some time to strategize. So I think Baltimore's going to pull this out by the thinnest of margins, Andre. Don't know how you feel about it. I know you like to hate on my boy, Lamar Action Jackson, because you like to hate on anybody from Louisville who's got skills and talent. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going, you're right, Chance. I'm going against you. Look, <laughs> only because you stated the biggest key fact. Lamar Jackson is their number one rusher. Nowhere in the world do I want my quarterback to be left open to take hits while he's running the ball. And knowing that he's rushing, the leading rusher on the team does not help his cause. He's not having a good year. I think you're right. They have, there is a lot of tape on him. They know how to figure him out defensively. You put a spy on him. His numbers don't do him justice this year. They did in years past. He's got 1,135 yards throwing, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions. Compared to Ben Raplesberger, who's having a phenomenal year, <laughs> at, four, at 1,446 yards passing, 13 touchdowns, four interceptions, this this team is a whole different team in many ways. They're 6-0. and They haven't been 6-0 and since the days of Terry Bradshaw. Thank you, Jimmy, the stat boy. Connor's having a great year, dude. 451 yards rushing, four touchdowns. That's a true running back style. And my boy, Claypool, from the University of Notre Dame. Look, they're having a year. They have all the weapons in the world offensively. And on the other side, their defense is just fire this year. They've always been a good defensive team uh, throughout their whole franchise. And they're only allowing rushing yards, 68.8 for the year. That's going to be a big difference maker. I love the, the Steelers. Give me the plus three and a half. Give me the money line straight up at 170. I love it. I like it. I think Pittsburgh's going to come into Baltimore, give them a little taste of the medicine from last year's game with no Big Ben, and win and be 7-0, and one of the last, if not the last, undefeated teams in the NFL. Flores, we're 1-1 one one on the board. Who do you got? Who's going to be the difference maker? 
when it comes to this game on Sunday? All right, so we just went over a shitload of fights this weekend, and the number one thing in fight is who has that guy fought when mm-hmm. you're considering what they're going to do in this next fight. And when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers, man, that 6-0 and record looks so fraudulent. They've beaten the Giants, the Broncos, the Texans, the Eagles, the Browns, and they barely eked it out against the Titans because of Goskowski having the worst season of his fucking life this last week. So as much as the Ravens have also beat up on these weak teams, I just think they're more of a thoroughbred horse than the Steelers are right now, and they're definitely going to take it to the Steelers. I fully expect, I know you're talking shit about Lamar Jackson not having a great season, and how is he your leading rusher? Dude, it's not like we're talking about Russell Wilson being your leading rusher or Ben Roethlisberger. We're talking about Lamar Jackson, the guy that actually, when he's your leading rusher, that's because it's probably working. So I definitely see the Ravens pulling this one out, and I think the Steelers are kind of fraudulent at 6-0. You want to talk about fights for us? Let's look at the Ravens' schedule this year. The Browns. I did say that. I did say that. The the Redskins. The Bengals, the the Eagles, and they almost lost to the Eagles. And if it wasn't for that stupid play for a two pointer that didn't make any sense on when they ran it, they could have lost in overtime. So, how dare you say that you know the, the Steelers are frauds when the Ravens are just as bad? And and both have no real um, say in the scheduling because they're not the ones doing it. The commissioner, did, the whomever is doing the NFL scheduling, did it. So they're both fraudulent on paper because their opponents. Have been dog shit. Well, both defenses are playing lights out. So it comes down for for me. I'm just, I mean, just like on, I really want to get to the next game. So I just want to quickly say for me, like scanning over it, um, it's a lot easier to attack Ben Roethlisberger than it is to plan for Lamar Jackson. So I think the, the Ravens win just because. How I mean, you can try, you can throw one thing at Lamar Jackson, but he's quick enough and fast enough to do something else. Whereas Big Ben is just—he's—they called him Big Ben since he was a fucking rookie. Like he's never been this dude that can be super quick on his feet. He's always been power and strength. So if Baltimore figures out a way to just take take him over, um, it's going to be hard for him to really come out. And their their receivers are good, but you know they're in and out of injuries. I, I think this one smells like Baltimore. We'll, we'll take the the victory on Sunday morning, which would lead us right into your guys' game. And I'm so happy that um, I, that we have this panel chance with two 49ers fans because the 49ers are, are good as of the last few years. So they're always involved in a good game. Um, and I'll start with uh, I'll start with you, Chance, and then you could pass it off to Andres. Do you think the Seahawks win, or do you think the Niners win? And this game is at one twenty-five Pacific Standard Time, a conference NFC West matchup. Man, this is this is this is true NFC West football. One thing about the NFC West: every team in the NFC West has a winning record. It's arguably the most competitive, hardest conference in the NFL. It's been great to watch this this season. This game, man, is, in my opinion, a toss-up. Um, I would give the edge to Seattle because they have Russell Wilson and they're playing at home, but they have the worst defense in the league. Believe it or not, Patrick, the Seattle Seahawks 
their defense is worse than your beloved Dallas Cowboys. So that, that being said, you know, even though even though Jimmy G's, you know, he's got seven touchdowns to four picks, um, you know, with with the way Russell Wilson played last week, and look, Russell Wilson, I mean, you know, people were on him because he threw five touchdowns and three interceptions last week, but. You look at his stats, man. He's he's almost at two thousand yards. He's thrown for eighteen ninety, and then he's got twenty two touchdowns with six interceptions. I mean, they were saying that he's on the same pace that Peyton Manning was when he threw fifty touchdowns when he won MVP with the Denver Broncos. So that being said, you know, San Francisco is missing is missing. Uh, I think Raheem Mostert. He's going to be out, um, and then the guy who bought out last last week, I believe. Uh, What's his name? Wilson. He's going to be out too, I yeah. think, right? So, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't know how many times San Francisco can, like, beat the injury bug. I mean, I, they've been very lucky so far this season. But you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they're going to win this game. I, I love Seattle. I love Russell Wilson. But, you know, I think that they struggle. That defense obviously struggles, Pat, with any mm-hmm. type of rushing or running game, as we saw last week with Kyler Murray. And, man, I mean – that, that, that defense, I mean, that's, that's fucking like diarrhea through fucking Andres' fucking butthole after one too many burritos. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. You, Andres. I, don't even, I don't even eat burritos because I don't eat meat. What? So what? <laughs> um, well, hey, you know what, though? I will agree with you on something. And, I, you know, I, somebody told me right now, and I just read, that the defense is so bad for Seattle – that DK Metcalf is going to be playing starting safety. No, he's not. So, considering <laughs> he can fucking run it and make a tackle like he did last week, he sure as hell will be because he's that big and that fast and strong that they need him as a two-way player. So, what's more important than anything else is the Niners' offense, right? And their defense is stellar. And I will get on to that. But they have three players whose yards after a catch is just – Astonishing. Greg Kittle just averaging hell of a, I mean, hell of yards after the catch. Uh, who's the other one? Uh, I'm trying to think. Ayuk. Debo Samuel. Ayuk. Yeah, the Yak boys. And Debo Samuel will be missing this game, but Brandon Ayuk, the rookie, is just phenomenal. This guy is going to be a star in the future. And him and Kittle, look out, guys. That's just a two headed monster offensively. I think Shanahan's going to open up the doors. Jimmy G hopefully can have the game that he did last week in New England. I think that was the greatest game to go back, have a revenge game, throw it in front of uh, Belichick's face, get that win under your belt, and now go into Seattle, get the W, be 2-1 and one in, the con- in the NFC West, uh, and then focus and try to win the conference. I think because of Seattle's defense being so bad that it's going to force Russell Wilson to make – mistakes. And the reason why I say that is because he's probably going to be under pressure considering how well the Niners defense is on passing yards allowed, only allowing 213. Yes, it's somewhat a lot, but not compared to Seattle's defense allowing 373.8. So I think a lot of pressure will be on Wilson to try to run uh, force mistakes. They're going to blitz him. We're going to do well. I expect the Niners to at least, at least win by three, if not more. It's going to be close, but this is a good rivalry game. I'm taking the Niners plus the three at the money line across the board, and I would love nothing more than for us to beat them 
on an All Souls Day, Saint Day on 11-1. So <laughs> again, San Francisco, I'm going with the Saint Team Catholic babies. <laughs> Boy, and a lot of a lot of those a lot of those yards that San Francisco has given up, it's not the same as Seattle. San Francisco has had a lot of their defensive backs out. You know, Miami absolutely murdered them that game with the deep passes. And a lot of those guys are back. And I trust San Francisco's defense a whole lot more than Seattle's, obviously, based on the numbers. McKinnon is going to definitely step in, and that's one thing that San Francisco have. They can go four running backs deep, maybe even five running backs deep. So even though Wilson is out, even though Coleman is out, even though uh, Moster is out, they still still have McKinnon. And the reason why he didn't get a lot of snaps last game is because they wanted to keep him fresh this game because they knew something could happen. Demo Samuels also out of this game because of a hamstring. But the 49ers have the firepower. They are the underdogs. I do see them going in and beating Seattle. I can't believe we're all on board with this one. Patrick, can I can I make a quick bold prediction though? Well, yeah, let's see if it's bold enough. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna I am gonna go out on a limb and say that the Seattle Seahawks defense will hold McKinnon under 100 yards rushing. Um. I don't know if that's bold enough for you, gentlemen, but I think considering this defense is the worst in the league. And regardless of who San Francisco puts in the backfield, they can eat up 100 yards by the second quarter. I think that's pretty bold. It's up to the Niners uh, fans. It, here's, I only have one uh, one question. That. Is it only McKinnon or all running backs specifically under 100 yards? Oh, I well, I mean, uh, that that is where you get bold if you say all running backs. Rushing. I mean, how many how, how many running backs do they have? Though? I mean, everyone's else. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, they have another guy. They have they have another guy blinking on his name that they called up uh, for this one. Is so, it, if, it, if, if, it, if it's is it Michael Hasty? Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. You know what? Okay. Hold on. Hold on. So, I will go. Yes, I will. I will, I will do that. I will go under one hundred yards for the San Francisco backfield against the Seattle Seahawks defense. I'll, I'll take that. I will absolutely that's take bold. that. That is, a, that is a very, that's very bold. That is very bold. That's bold as fuck. And these bold predictions are brought to you by Tecate. Tecate bold predictions. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. Um, and and, 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 and uh, Dazzin. So, yeah, no, I, I think – I think, yeah, DAZN, right? DAZN. <laughs> no, that I I think that's bold enough. Under a hundred yards, they might you know Pete, big balls. Pete might shape up and uh, get some defense going. I would love to see the Niners beat Seattle. Um, I, I I want I want the Niners to do well because a lot of uh, my close friends, um, including you guys and family members, cousins, they they love the Niners. So even though they were recently, um, my cousins Andrew and Andrew are Niners fans, and they were talking hella shit about uh, the Dodgers, but they still were rooting for them. But it was tough to get them on board because they are Angels fans. But the Niners, 
if the Niners can beat the Seahawks, that would really shake things up in the division because right now everybody, as Chance would say, right now everybody is just slurping Russell Wilson. So if he can get shut down, that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, and those are actually the most exciting games from Thursday to Sunday. We have the scumbags of the night coming up right around the corner. All right, you guys, I read something today and I, at first I was like, okay, this is, this sucks for the program because they have to postpone their, um, you know, opening yep. day or whatever. But then I re was thinking about it a little more and I was like, wait a second, this team came from the big 10 and the big 10 already postponed their season due to COVID. And now the Wisconsin football Badgers have to postpone their game because the pretty much you know, a good portion, like 10 members of the coaching staff and 10 members of the team caught COVID. So they're my scumbags of the night because they are responsible for ruining sports happiness. Now, if you have to postpone an entire conference and mind you, the big 10 is kind of like the meat and potatoes of college football. It sits right in the heartland of our country and everybody was pissed. They postponed it and Wisconsin still couldn't get their shit together and they have to postpone their game again. My friends, they are my scumbags of the night because you have to just take it seriously if you are a member of this team and coaching staff. It leads me to believe that nobody is holding anybody accountable and they're doing whatever the fuck they want. And Chance, I, I, I can't, I just, I can't, I won't, I can't and I won't stand for it, bro. Like they postpone the schedule and they have to postpone again. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because their commissioner, that you know, everyone was saying that, that President Trump was the reason that Big Ten football came back because he was putting pressure on the other conferences. But it, it's scary, man, especially because their star quarterback, who looked pretty good, I mean, he dominated out there um, last Saturday. Um, he's got COVID, and now he, he has a 21-day. Like, they're, they're going over precaution. He's got 21 days that he has to sit out at least. Um, so that's three additional weeks of football that he's not going to be playing in. Dude, because he easily loses his starting job, man. So, mm -hmm. tough tough cookie on that one. Um, you know, I, I'm going to lead into mine, but a quick quick little sub, I guess, um, scumbag of the night is is TB12.com because I ordered, you know, I've always, regardless of Tom Brady, you know, uh, opinions politically or whatever, like, you know, everyone talks about he was the first person that had to make America great, uh, get great again hat in his locker and all that. I've always been a Tom Brady fan. I was a big fan of him at Michigan when he was playing in the Orange Bowl and brought Michigan back to beat Alabama. I ordered two shirts off of TB12.com, said that they were delivered on Saturday, and I still haven't gotten them bitches. So, yeah, TB12.com. <laughs> use a real postal carrier. Don't use DHL, which is pretty much out of business. Like, no one even knows who the hell they are. So, anyway. My scumbag of the night, fellas. Hey, hey real quick, little company for us. Did you reach out to the customer service and customer support? Let's just let's be I, real. Not TV 12. It's just I, I did. I did. But, but T, look, come on, man. Tom Brady's worth $400 million. Like, if you want to start a business, do it the right way. Like, you know what I'm saying? You ain't got to, you know. I know we all worked at Iraq, so we like to cut corners, but fuck that. <laughs> hey, that's why, you, that's why I, I think you're asking to see. You can bring a difference to the world. You can be your own boss. Thanks to Enterprise. That you can run the TB12 uh, website. There you go. Let me yeah, exactly. Let me be the executive <laughs> vice president for customer success at TB12. 
Charles um, will be like, no, nah, I am I am the manager. No, nah, that's me. Yep. I am the manager, sir, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and no weekends better. Um, but yeah, my, my, you know, Pat, I was surprised that you didn't, that you didn't tee this one up because I figured after the events of this past weekend that you would just lay into the Dallas Cowboys and, you know, rightfully so. I'm sure all of our listeners saw it. I'm sure you guys saw it. But Andy Dalton was coming out of the end zone trying to make a play attempted to slide and then John Bostic pretty much hit him with the head on head collision. It was definitely a dirty play, but what was even grimier was the fact that none of his cowboy teammates came to his defense. No one ran up yep. on Bostic. No one, you know, pretty much had Andy Dalton's back. Literally Amari Cooper like turned around, looked down at Andy Dalton and was like, Oh, what happened? Like, what happened? Like just like honestly, like no like rapport or chemistry from that Dallas Cowboy team. I'm just beyond disappointed, man. I mean, it's COVID. Like these guys are lucky enough to play, you know, a kid's game as grown men, and they're complaining about the coach. And look, we we understand that it's tough. We understand that until Jerry probably sells the team, or at least until he's out of the way, until maybe Steven can run it, that they're not going to do anything. But I mean, come on, man. This is an absolute low. I played football. You know, you gotta have your teammates back. I believe me, guys. I played in high school. My first two years at Dupont Manual High School, we were not a football juggernaut. So much so that my first two years, we only won two games. We won one game each year. But I guarantee you, had that happened to our quarterback, we would have ran up on somebody. We probably would have got stomped out, but we'd at least had his bag. And I'm just disappointed that the Cowboys couldn't even attempt, even act like they were mad. They're just like, oh. So be it. So, you know, Andres, I don't know how you feel about that, man. I know that you're a Niners fan, so you probably don't have a lot of uh, empathy for any Cowboys or the players, but that was, that was bad to see, man. Uh, look, it's funny that you tee it up to me because we're talking about football. Uh, I played high school football all four years. I didn't start, but I was on the team. I did I did grind my work and, and, you know, was part of the whole regalia of going through the motions. There's no way in hell an RIP to my coach, Jimmy Bonds, who passed away this morning, a former baseball teammate to um, uh, Roberts, Dave Roberts, when they played at UCLA. And in fact, he had uh, he just died this morning of cancer. And in the World Series game, game four, five, when they were doing a stand-up for cancer, uh, Roberts held a sign with Jim Bonds. And let me tell you something. Coach Bonds, thank you uh, for everything you did. But I know for a fact that if one of our quarterbacks or any player got fucking hit like that, uh, we would have been on each other. The, the, the sidelines would have been clearing. So I know for a fact that there is no heart and no grit. And speaking of no heart and no grit, I'm going to go with Kevin Cash, the manager for the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> and the reason being, thank you for losing the game. Thank you for becoming the new uh, Dave Roberts of baseball. But there's no way in hell that I'm pulling my star pitcher, the ace, the MVP, the the, the former Cy Young award winner in Blake Snell out of a World Series game where I could lose no matter what happens, out of a game when he's only given up two hits, zero runs, thrown 73 pitches, and I believe nine strikeouts at that moment with a runner on and just saying, hey, you know what? We got to we gotta take you out. There's no fucking way. And I think because of that, he is my scumbag of the night. It is not right for baseball. I don't. He's not a competitor. He's worried about numbers and all this analytics, but he's not watching the game in front of him. And he cost his team to win one more, to push a game seven, giving them a chance to 
you know, potentially winning or being in a position to winning a World Series. So shame on you on Kevin Cash for just destroying your team's uh, opportunity. I, I just, I've never seen anything like it. I don't, I, I don't like it. It's just shameful. Uh, Flores, what do you think? Are you giving up your, your chance to win a World Series by pulling your, you know, Cy Young pitcher uh, when you're up still one nothing? And you only give one hit or two hits at that moment. Are you, are you, are you pulling them? Or am I wrong to say that? I know there's, there's a, that's one of the biggest clashes, but you know, we, I, Patrick and I watched my whole life in college life. We would watch PTI, pardon the interruption on the Instagram, between Michael Wilbon and, uh, who's the other cat for, um, uh, Tony, Tony Kornheiser. Tony Kornheiser, yeah. And Wilbon even said specifically, he goes, uh, he, he's about it. He goes, I'm a, and I quote, I'm offended by what I saw. Some numbers are so important to you, Kevin Cash, that you can't use your eyes. He added uh, he, that Cash should go work in Las Vegas if all he cares about is computer numbers. And to that point, we already talked about it earlier. Speaking of Las Vegas, that's what this pitching stuff is, is a lot of the times it's especially nowadays, it's, it's playing blackjack, like I mentioned earlier. And keep in mind, man, it's not like the Devil Rays or the Rays didn't make the playoffs, didn't make it to game six of the fucking World Series by relying on this stuff. This is the same stuff that we talked about this whole last month or so about the fact that Dave Roberts, with five, now six, I think it is, completed years as a manager, had three World Series visits on his resume, whether he won this one or not, and now actually has the World Series title. Cash is a young manager in the league. He could still make stuff happen. I just want to get over that fact and understand that they had a plan going in, and if Snell comes in and Beth gets a double off of him, then we're talking about Kevin Cash, like, why the fuck didn't you pull Snell? He hasn't gone into mm-hmm. the sixth inning at all, any of these games, so... Whatever, that part is what it is. I'll just segue right into my uh, scumbag of the night, which is right along those lines. Kyle Kuzma and Jared Goff. Jared Goff gets, you know, sends a congratulatory text message to Cody Bellinger. I think Seeger and some of the guys, Jared Goff being the quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams after the Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series. And if you're... If you're Bellinger and you get a text like that, of course you're going to respond, all right, man, it's your it's your turn now. But Jared Goff is sitting here thinking that Bellinger is literally putting that pressure on him, and Jared Goff is actually answering to the media like it's a serious question, like, yeah, man, now the pressure's on us to go out and deliver this title. It's something that we've <laughs> talked about. Well, not talked about as a team, but amongst the group text, like, hey, now it's our turn. No, you dipshit. That's just what people are going to say because <laughs> L.A. just won back-to-back titles for different sports. It's not real pressure on you. They know you're a fraud-ass 5-2 and two team that just beat a fraud-ass 5-1 and one Bears team and got your ass annihilated by a real decent team, the Niners, the week before. And Kyle Kuzma, the guy that didn't do shit, and as much as I love Kuzma and I've you know, defended him to people, comes out and text, uh, not text, Twitter messages the Rams at LA Rams, you guys know what to do. What the fuck? Since 
since when are you the voice of the Los Angeles Lakers to go and put this pressure on the Rams? The Rams are not the number one seed in the league like the Lakers and the Dodgers were. The Rams are not the favorite to win the title like the Dodgers and the Lakers were. Where is Jared Goff coming off thinking that this conversation is actually something serious and talking about this in an interview like it is something serious? Nobody is expecting you to even make the second round of the playoffs, maybe even not even make the playoffs and how tough this division is. So if you make it to the playoffs, be lucky you get there. Nobody is expecting you to win shit, dude. Relax. My real scumbag of the night, though, I'll end it with this. John Bones Jones. I love John Jones to death. I'll defend him to everybody as the pound-for-pound king of the UFC of all time. He has one loss, but his one loss was a disqualification because he hit a guy with an elbow in the way that he shouldn't have. Other than that, the dude is untouched for the last 10 years. He's beat a who's who of fighters. He's defended his title so many times. But this dude is on Twitter really hurt by the fact that people are considering Khabib as the pound-for-pound best of all time. And he's going out and attacking people on tweets and defending his honor, defending his name. Bro, you don't do that. People do that for you. Let others sing your praises. Like people have attacked LeBron for doing You don't talk about your legacy. You let other people do that. That's how your legacy gets cemented. John Bones Jones, you sound like an idiot. You sound like an insecure pussy. I hate to say it, but calm the fuck down, dude. Wow, I didn't know all that. Maybe Jared Goff is trying to just be part of the boys. Maybe he just wants people to know, like, look, like, some dudes with real swag actually text me, like, look, here's the proof that I'm, I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 me, like me with Bill Santa Cruz trying to prove, like, hey, look, I'm cool. Yeah, no, he, he did it for the clout. He did it for the clout and Kuzma. <laughs> I mean, I, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, and, you know, outside of Rams fans, I don't think anybody else thinks that the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. And if, if the Rams go on to win the Super Bowl, we will send – that clip of the last three minutes two freezing cold takes and they can go ahead and joke you know clown us for saying that the rams have no chance but uh those are the scumbags of the night uh dallas cowboys grow some balls kevin cash thank you for the world series uh wisconsin football get your shit together and uh john jones sit back and let the people do the talking. That is our show for the night, episode 73. Gentlemen, we are 27 away from the century mark. Congratulations. And to our listeners, thank you for following us. Thank you for listening to us. We hope you enjoy the show. Um, Make sure to follow our picks and predictions on Facebook and Instagram, and we will see you next week. If you're going to place any bets, good luck.